Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I was so happy to learn that the Animal Wellness Action was going to have a Vermont State Director, first time ever, and then to discover what an incredible history this man has in animal welfare and in education. And Bob Galvin, you have lived an extraordinary life as a not even an animal advocate, just knowledge and interest in so many different creatures that, that are on the planet. It's wonderful to have you here in Vermont and to have you boots on the ground to do good things for the wildlife as well as the owned animals. So welcome to Vermont. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And uh, I've only been working for about four weeks so far, but a lot has already happened. There's a lot more in the works. So yeah, very excited to be here in Vermont making change for animals. I was very surprised when Wayne Paselli said that they were going to find a Vermont State Director at a very high level of, of influence and knowledge and capability. And I said, really, in Vermont, you're going to find that person? I mean, no offense to Vermont, but people come here to kind of hide under a rock or behind a mountain or something. They, they're not necessarily people that are galvanized to, to do change. But you come from quite a long history of doing amazing stuff, marine biology, as well as bird research. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think those are two, obviously, the, the sea and the sky, two very different areas of the planet, but very important 
we're all realizing how much more important than most of us ever realized. So talk, can you talk a little bit about that? You have a BS in marine biology and in philosophy from the University of Delaware and an MS in biology at William and Mary. So what did you, did you set out to become a marine biologist? Was there such a thing? Yes, actually, I set out to train whales at SeaWorld of all no. occupations originally. No. Yeah, wow. so I had seen the movie Free Willy when I was uh, two or three, very young, and was just captured by the amazingness of orcas yes. and their intelligence and their just desire for freedom. I kind of took the wrong message from How Free Willy for about the first 18 years of my life. <laughs> um, went, went to school wanting to work at SeaWorld, and I had kind of an epiphany one day while I was in my room, kind of just absentmindedly sitting there. I um, squished an ant on my wall, not thinking about it, and kind of reconsidered what the ethics were of of doing that, of causing uh, a living being uh, suffering and death. And I, I kind of got lost in that train of thought for hours. And at the end of it, I came to the conclusion that I did not want to harm animals if I could help it. I have always wanted to help them. And so that revelation really changed the direction of my life. Um, I started doing marine science field work um, as kind of a different path uh, that marine biology would take me down. I unfortunately quickly found out that I have some uh, ear issues that doesn't allow me to scuba dive. Oh, how and odd. coral reefs were really um, what I wanted to study as a marine biologist. So not being able to kind of study my, my uh, desired study system, right. I started working with grad students at my, at my undergraduate university, University of Delaware, and started accompanying them on um, field research trips, mostly insect uh, research. And I was just really uh, smitten by that. I love, I've always loved being out in nature. I've always deeply loved observing and understanding ecological inter interactions. So I was really hooked on wildlife field work after that. I spent uh, about four years doing research all over America in Kansas, Oregon, um, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and uh, got to the point where I wanted to make more of a change. I wanted to design studies myself and try to understand some of these kind of more burning ecological questions that I had. So that's what led me <clears throat> to go to grad school at William and Mary. While there, I did research on birds and fish and turtles and their responses to climate change and sea level rise. So that's a, a brief kind of uh, overview of some of that research. And I, I have always really just been fascinated by understanding how 
natural systems work and how each piece is so important to the functioning of a, you know, healthy ecosystem. So part that is very interesting. And I just want to go back to the beginning where you were sitting in your dorm room watching this ant and got lost in it for a couple of hours. So the first thought is, okay, were you on some kind of hallucinogen, right? Because you're in college. <laughs> and then I was like, no, it, well, seriously, let's, 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 I mean, let's have the real conversation. But you were also studying philosophy. So if you look at yep. philosophy and religious philosophy, look at the Jains in India, who, they aren't just vegan. I mean, they can't step on an ant. They if I have this right, they some they used to, or some of them wear a face mask so they don't accidentally inhale an insect. Uh, it's it's. I mean, that's obviously an extreme view of the importance of all forms of life, right down to insects. But it's. I think it's really important that we call out SeaWorld to those of the, to those of my listeners that aren't aware that that in the. I, I think it's been a couple of documentaries that were made the opposite kind of a free willy in a sense the documentary about the the guy that was trying to to get i think a sea lion out of a sea world type place i think it was in canada it's not important what's important is that sea world was used to be this wonderful place for people to go and even when i was at the veterinary conference in orlando i was staying at the renaissance at sea world and i thought oh my god mm. am i right next to them still capturing and making perform these humiliating, if you will, if we want to use a word like that, acts on, on whales. But they did, I think, change what they were doing, at least to some extent. So any of you listening that don't know that what SeaWorld was doing originally that made people like Bob Galvin think, oh, whales are great, sea lions and orcas and all are wonderful, was really pretty much blatant animal cruelty before any of us really thought about the mammals in the sea as having feelings and needs and a, a kind of a deep sentience and a high intelligence. So that's pretty cool that the ant turned <clears throat> you around, right? And then there have been some extraordinary books. There's so many great naturalists that are writing in literature, beautiful literature, about ants, about many kinds of insects, and also about the interconnectedness of all ecosystems. So it's kind of wonderful that when you were young and impressionable, you had that light bulb moment and then have continued to do that. You've coordinated campaigns to end animal experimentation in labs um, at a big uh, animal protection nonprofit. You don't say the name of it, but we don't have to because now you're part of Animal Wellness Action. So I was wondering, in the state of Vermont, a rural state that I moved to only 14, 15 years ago, but that early on I was told, oh, you live in this great state. It has more pets per capita than any other state in the country. And I said, really? That's interesting because I drive by one chained dog every day on mm. a short chain with no dog house, and the dog is never off the chain. And another place that I take my dogs to run on a land trust, there are four hunting beagles that are chained in front of little dog houses in dark, wet, cold, oh. dank. And I thought, really, are, is this who's counting as pets? So let's talk about a state like Vermont. There are many rural states like Vermont where leave aside the hunting aspect, which one could talk about, or the trapping aspect, which we do have to talk about. What about pets that are like in the Dark Ages treatment, like medieval? 
Unfortunately, yeah, in in lots of these rural states, attitudes about about pets have not kind of moved forward with some of our other ideas. In my experience so far in Vermont, the issue of chained dogs and of dogs left out in brutal conditions for long periods of time hasn't been uh, an issue or at least a big issue that I've talked to when I, when I have conversations with folks on the ground. I'm sure that in some of the more rural parts, it is an issue. And where I came from before Vermont, um, I was in, uh, or I was seeing how dogs were treated in Virginia and rural North Carolina. And it is uh, just heartbreaking Mm -hmm. what these dogs have to deal with and that uh, there is so much work to be done. And that is definitely something on my radar as the Vermont state director to get protections passed for animals who are neglected, who are abused. Um, Yeah, I, I have a very robust kind of vision for Vermont. Uh, As you mentioned, right now, we're kind of focused on trapping and um, restricting trapping this legislative session. But companion animal suffering and treatment is something near and dear to my heart. I actually have a a rescue beagle who was surrendered by a a hunter who didn't treat her very well. So I, I also have a particular soft spot for beagles. Nice. Kind of how they are particularly mistreated as hunting dogs. And because because they are such dear dogs um, and sweet dogs yep. and bred for a long, long time to be very malleable and pliable and amenable, that's why they've also wound up, obviously, um, not obviously, it is why they have wound up in so many research facilities being purpose-bred. And I think that mm-hmm. Wayne Paselli's beagle may have come from a research release. I think what, what it really boils down to, Bob, is you mentioning bills and the Vermont House of Representatives. I don't think people recognize how vital it is that laws are how humane treatment of animals happens. And that's why Animal Wellness Action is such a valuable nonprofit because it's all very well to say, oh, that's terrible, which I did when I first came here. And they said, no, the law is the animal only needs to have, the chain must be at least eight feet long. I'm like, that's it? Well, I saw him wrapped around a tree. Because eight feet is actually too long of a chain. Then you get wrapped around something, and then you're kind of strangled. But it, again, it goes back to the law. This is not – and by the way, I don't live in rural Vermont. I live in Bennington, which is considered somewhat developed. So those hunting dogs mm. are right in North Bennington, and the other dog was on property owned by Bennington College and rented out to somebody. When I lived on Long Island, which is where Dog Talk emanates from, there was a group of really cool group of uh, nonprofit group that went around building dog houses for dogs that were chained and left Mm. outside year round, heat or cold. So it isn't just rural and it isn't just ignorant people, meaning people who don't know any better and haven't evolved. I think the work you're doing, I, I never think of Vermont as being a very legal, legislative kind of place. But like every state, it has legislation, and that's what can be enforced. And without the legislation, whether it's for trapping, and these dogs who are now or have been getting trapped in traps that were meant for other wild animals, and that's still 
debatable how, how bad that is. I think it's really important that we support anything Animal Wellness Action is doing in Vermont or other states to improve laws, because without the laws, there's not much you can do. You can be eloquent, you can be passionate, and you can go sit down, right? Exactly. It's what gives the teeth to what you're doing. I think the trapping is really important. Uh, There was an article recently about a woman whose dog was just out for a walk in the woods, and her dog was Mm -hmm. trapped and, and... I believe, suffocated in her arms while she tried to get this leg trap off of its neck. But my own vet, when I told her that I was going to be talking to you and the work you were going to be doing here, they had a French bulldog that was brought into the practice. The people had hired a so-called trapper to get rid of some raccoons on their property, and their dog went to the trap, and the dog died a slow and horrible death in their arms. And they had paid someone to put a trap on their property. So can we just let you wow. say a few words about traps and how, you know, we're all encroaching on wildlife. So it doesn't take much to step into the danger zone, which shouldn't be a danger zone. We don't need to catch animals that way anymore. This is not 1880, right? Exactly. Yeah, it is just not necessary. It is not necessary for conservation purposes. It's not, yeah, basically the rationales given by the Fish and Wildlife Department in Vermont and Fish and Wildlife Departments across the United States, their rationales for trapping are not uh, bolstered by the science, by the best available science that we have. So there is the scientific issue of which is of particular importance to me as a scientist or a previous scientist and somebody well-versed in kind of evaluating merits of scientific papers, that's one particular aspect that I find egregious. Mm -hmm. There is the pain and suffering that these animals are exposed to. Uh, Legally, you don't have to check the traps um, more than once every 24 hours. So an animal can be sitting there with their paw crushed in a trap, writhing in pain, for 23 hours and 59 minutes or more if they are not checking the traps as they are legally mandated to. So there's the animal suffering aspect. There's the incidental catch aspect where traps are not discriminatory towards particular species. We've heard reports of herons and crows and eagles being caught in traps set for coyotes and other animals. So there really just is not good reason to be to be trapping for recreation or trapping for commerce and fur and that is what the that there's a bill in the vermont house of representatives h191 that uh, uh attempts to restrict trapping in vermont it's a great bill and it um another aspect that i think is very important for vermont specifically is there was a Fish and Wildlife Commissioned uh, survey trying to get a a sense of Vermonters' perspectives on trapping and hunting and other things. Um, 68% of Vermonters oppose trapping for recreation, and 62% of those polled oppose trapping for commerce and fur. So that's... That's really what we need to happen. We've run out of time, Bob, but the important thing is you've got this bill. You've got this bill, and 
all of my listeners are certainly behind it. And it's really great to know of the work you're going to be doing here and the work that's being done across the country by Animal Wellness Action. Thank you for being here. And thanks for your passionate advocacy for the animals of all kinds. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.